Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Real Faith. All right, so in our passage today, James is going to contrast two kinds of faith, right? Real faith and fake faith. And so real faith is alive, fake faith, dead. Real faith, right, is fruitful, fake faith, barren. Real faith is useful in life, Fake faith is absolutely pointless, and real faith saves, and fake faith condemns. All right, so before James shows us how alive and how, how fruitful, how useful real faith is in verses 18 and following, what he's gonna do is he's gonna show how dead and how barren, how pointless fake faith is in verses 14 through 17. And so right now, both in this room and in your living room, um, if you're looking at James chapter two, verse 14, can you nice and loud say amen? amen? I know you're there. All right, so here we go. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? Now, how many of you guys know that somebody can say they have faith, but not really have faith, right? How many of you guys know that you can Somebody can make a profession of faith, but not have a possession of faith. All right, so what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, well, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. All right, so in these verses, James gives us an illustration of fake faith. The person who claims to be a believer. Again, how many of you guys know someone can claim to be a believer without really being a believer? So the person who claims to be a believer comes into contact with a needy brother or sister, someone who's poorly clothed, someone who doesn't even have enough food every single day, and instead of helping that brother or sister, they give them a bunch of empty religious cliches. You know, go in peace, be warmed and filled, right? God bless you, I pray for you, brother, or whatever. And James says at the end of verse 16, if you're not gonna help the guy, what good is that? What good is that? And so if you're taking notes, here's your first point. Real faith is demonstrated by good works, but fake faith is demonstrated by empty words. There's a big difference there. Real faith demonstrated by good works. Fake faith demonstrated by empty words. And so James makes it clear that you can you know, give people all the empty religious cliches that you want, but if you're not gonna help the brother or sister who's in need, what good is the so-called faith without fruit? What good is the so-called belief without behavior? What good are the so-called words without works? And that's why he says in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. Now Jesus gives us a great um, illustration of the difference, the contrast between dead faith and living faith in one of the most famous parables that he ever gave, and that's the parable of the good 
Samaritan. It's in Luke 10, you don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you the story, but he said that a man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 20 mile trip, dangerous desert road, a road that was riddled with robbers in Jesus' day. And so if you go with us to Israel, we'll take you there. <laughs> One of the many places that we'll take you. And so we, we just um, pulled the bus over and took a snapshot of, of this area, which is northwest of the Dead Sea, the Judean wilderness, and we um, got to see the area where this uh, parable takes place, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you show them the next screen, um, you can look down into the ravine, you can see the Greek Orthodox, uh, they actually carved a monastery right there in the middle of nowhere, uh, out, you know, right there as part of the, of the side of the hill um, but what, what a crazy place, but I wanted to give you guys a picture of, of where this parable takes place. And so Jesus said that during this man's journey, some thieves jumped him. So out of nowhere, he's making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, crazy hot, right? It's just, uh, it's, it's dry, it's, it's warm, He's going on his way down to Jericho, and all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of thieves surround him, and they beat him up. I mean, they beat him bad. They strip his clothes off, and they leave him half dead on the side of the road. Now, I want you to make the Bible come alive in your mind, right? I just showed you where it happened, and so a picture, that desert scene in, in your mind, and I want you to picture this broken, bloody, beaten man on the side of the road. I don't know if he's conscious or unconscious. We know he can't move, he's just laying there. He gets beat up pretty bad. He's left for dead. And then after that assault was over and thieves were gone, Jesus said that a priest came, came down that same road. A priest, you know, a guy who ministers in the temple in Jerusalem. A person who descends from Aaron. A person who sacrifices the animals on the uh, altar there in the temple in Jerusalem. A religious person comes down the same road. He sees the broken, bloodied, beaten man. And, and what is his response? According to Jesus, he passes by on the other side. He looks at this guy and he says, wow, he's a mess. Man, he got you know, the snot beat out of him. And you know, I, I certainly don't have time to deal with this. I gotta be at Jericho. And so there's lots of people who come down this road. I'm sure somebody will eventually help this guy. And he rides around and keeps on going. A little later, another religious guy, a Levite. The Levites were the ones who assisted the priests in the temple in Jerusalem. He comes by and sees the same guy. This guy's really hurt. I mean, he's still in the same position on the side of the road. And what was the response of the Levite? The same thing. He passes by on the other side. Now the response of the priest and the response of the Levite remind me of these words from the apostle John. John says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does the love of God abide in the heart of this priest? How does the love of God abide in the heart of this Levite? Now some of you are new to the Bible and you're thinking a priest, a Levite, I don't get it. They're religious people, right? They know all about the sacrifices and services 
of the temple. They know about all the rites and all the rituals. They know all about the fast days and the feast days. They cross every T, they dot every I. They know, no doubt, no shit theology. And so, what's the deal here? Well, well, James already told us what the deal is. Please look again at verse 17. He says, so also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. And so because their faith was not demonstrated by good works, it was proven to be fake, dead. And James goes on now, look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Listen to this. Show me your faith apart from your works. That's impossible. And, here it is, I will show you my faith by my works. And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what the third man who came down that road did. Jesus said a Samaritan was traveling in the same area. He also saw the injured man on the side of the road. And because of the extreme prejudice that existed that day between the Jews and the Samaritans, you need to know that as Jesus was giving this parable to this Jewish crowd, that when he said the word Samaritan, it shocked them. Some of them were probably offended. You know, their, their attitude as the Jews were, we don't have any dealings with these people. Some of them may have thought, you know, how dare Jesus use a Samaritan in this parable to us Jewish people? Right, and so, and yet, the Samaritan in the story was different. When he saw a hurt Jew on the side of the road, instead of showing discrimination and passing by, he showed compassion and he stopped. And he helped. See, the good Samaritan was good because he decided to help a fellow human being. And so what did he do? Jesus says the first thing he did is he poured wine into the guy's wounds. And the alcohol and the wine would, would, would act like an antiseptic in the wounds. And then he poured oil to soothe the pain. And then, Jesus said, he bandaged the guy up. Now, you think he was carrying a first aid kit on the side of his donkey? Where'd he get the bandages? He probably took his own robe and just ripped off strips of bandages. And he, he, he wrapped this guy's wounds. And then Jesus says that he took the guy, picked him up, and put him on his own animal. Now, depending on how big this animal was, camel, donkey, we don't know, but we're assuming that the injured man rode as the good Samaritan walked. He took him to an inn, a secure place where this guy could recover. I mean, he's beaten up bad, he's half dead, so he's gonna need days to recover. And if that's not enough, you guys remember what else Jesus said? This guy did, the good Samaritan, he took out his money bag. He took two denarii, two days wages for the common laborer. He gave it to the innkeeper and he says, if you spend anything else, take care of him, and if you spend anything else, I will repay you when I come back. He's gonna follow up to make sure that the guy is okay. The good Samaritan, when he saw the injured man, did not give him a bunch of empty cliches. Right As he's going down the road on his, don let's say it's a donkey, and he sees this broken, bloody, beaten man, he didn't say, you know, uh, go in peace. The guy's like, I can't move. How can I go anywhere? Be warmed and filled. The guy's like, I'm empty and I'm cold. God bless you. 
Bye-bye now, I'll be praying for you, brother. No, that's not what he did. He stopped. He was inconvenienced. He showed compassion. He showed his faith by his works, and he gave him first century medical care. He gave of his time. He gave of his money. What did the priest do? What did the Levite do? They didn't do anything. They probably knew a lot about theology in their head, but they did not do anything. Did you guys know that a person can be religious and still lost? Did you guys know that a person can know a lot about theology and still be on their way to hell? Look at verse 19. James says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. (laughs) All right, so demons have an understanding of theological truth. Demons believe in the existence of God. Demons know that God is one and it makes them tremble. Quick side note, some of, you, some of the people um, that, I, that go to this church, they give too much credit to demons and devils, and they're actually afraid of demons and devils. You need to know, ladies and gentlemen, that, that Jesus makes the darkness tremble, that in the presence of Jesus Christ, demons and devils have to flee, that Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? And so as, all we gotta do is Stay close to our big brother. He'll handle the rest because no one can defeat Jesus. But demons, listen, they have theological knowledge. They believe in the existence of God. They know he's one and they tremble. And yet, do demons have genuine faith? No, of course not. And neither does the person who knows about God in their head, but they don't know God in their heart. The person who knows about God in their head but doesn't know God in their heart is lost. No matter how religious they are, no matter what position, ecclesiastical position they may hold. And so here's what we need to know. True faith goes from your head to your heart to your feet. It starts with our head. We hear the gospel. And we need to hear the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. It's not just believing in God and I'll be okay. Demons believe in the existence of God, okay? So we understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, and that the son of God, the eternal son of God, came and was born of a virgin, incarnate, became man. He went to a cross, he died, and took your punishment and my punishment in his body on the tree satisfied the wrath of God, he died for our sins, he rose again the third day. And what happens? We believe in the existence of God? No, we trust Christ as our our personal savior and our personal Lord. He's my only hope, Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And what happens is our faith goes from our head to our heart and we're born again. We experience the new birth. And then what happens, because our faith now is real, it goes to our feet and it's evidenced by good works as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we become lifelong followers of him. Head, heart, feet. Does that make sense to you guys? And so James continues his argument for real faith against fake faith, now in verse 20. He says, do you wanna be shown, you foolish person? 
that faith apart from works is useless? He says, you want evidence? All right, I'll give you evidence from the, from the Bible. I'll give you two examples. The example of Abraham and the example of Rahab. The example of the father of our faith and the example of a Gentile harlot. And so what we're gonna do in our time remaining is uh, we'll spend a good amount of time on Abraham and then because we'll be almost out of time, we'll spend a little bit of time on Rahab. And so please look at verse 21. It says, was not Abraham, okay, so here's the first example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now I know that makes some of you nervous, but you'll understand as we continue on here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, can you guys say those two words, you see? You see see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Of God. Okay, so here's your next point. Abraham's faith, which we read about in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, was proven to be genuine because of his works, which we read about in Genesis 22 when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Now, look again, please, at verse 23. When James says, Abraham believed. God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which occurred many years before Genesis chapter 22 when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. I really think the chronology here is super important. I want you to understand this. And so in Genesis chapter 15, God takes Abraham underneath a beautiful, clear night sky. And the Bible says that the Lord, it says that he took him, uh, he, said, he, said, he said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed in the existence of God, is that what it says? No. He believed the Lord. In the Hebrew, that's Yahweh the one true God, and he believed Yahweh, and Yahweh, the Lord, counted it to him as what? Righteousness, all right, and so in Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham heard the promises of God and he believed the Lord, he believed the promises of God, at that moment, God declared him righteous. At that moment, He was justified by faith alone. Paul writes all about this in Romans chapters three and chapters four. At the moment that he believed the Lord, God's righteousness was poured into Abraham's account. His faith was counted as righteousness. Now, here's a question you can answer out loud if you want. Even though God could see right into Abraham's heart, and see, this guy's got real faith. Could people see into Abraham's heart? Can you see into my heart right now? No, I can't see in your heart because none of us have x-ray vision. 
But God has x-ray vision. And so when did Abraham show his faith by his works so we could see his faith? Well, many times, but one of the times that James points to in our passage was many years later in Genesis 22. The chronology here, ladies and gentlemen, is very important. You need to understand this. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed the Lord and his faith was counted as righteousness. Not his self-righteousness, God's righteousness. And then, okay, so he's saved. And then, 30 or more years later, in Genesis chapter 22, he shows his faith by his works by offering Isaac on the altar. Genesis 15, saved. Genesis 22, showed. If you're with me here, say amen now. Let me tell you the story because in between 15 and 22, there's a great chapter, Genesis 17. And in that chapter, the Lord appears to Abraham and he says, Abraham, your wife, Sarah, is gonna get pregnant and she's gonna have a boy. Despite the fact that Abraham was almost 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. Look at what God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, 17. He says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. We're talking about the Abrahamic covenant. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And sure enough, because how many of you guys believe that God always keeps his promises no matter how difficult a situation is? He always, I'm, I'm telling you, you need to believe this. God always keeps his promises. He's never failed, not even one time. Difficult times come, but you can always count on God. And sure enough, because God always keeps his promises, no matter how difficult the situation is, Sarah, I gotta say it again, she's 90 years old. She's never had a baby. She's barren, and yet she gets pregnant. And nine months later, she gives birth to Isaac. You guys remember what the name Isaac means? Laughter. Because everybody who heard the story laughed and laughed with joy because God is a God who keeps his promises. What promise did God keep to Abraham? His promise was that his descendants would be as a number like the stars in heaven. And sure enough, guess what? Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot 12 boys. Those 12 boys become the 12 tribes of Israel. And the next thing you know, like the stars in heaven, you have the children of Israel. God keeps his promises. And not only that, God promised Abraham that his seed, through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed, speaking about the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. All right, and so back to our story, Isaac is born. All right, so the promise it's starting to be fulfilled. How many of you guys know that God likes to test our faith in times of difficulty? I think he's doing it right now all across the world with COVID-19. God wants to test our faith. And sure enough, something shocking happens to Abraham. 
In Genesis 22, the Lord appears to him again. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. That's important, I'll come back to that. And offer him there as a burnt offering. Offer my son, kill my boy, the one through whom the covenant is supposed to come. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham had to be shaken to his core, right? I mean, what in the world is going on? Sacrifice my son? What about the promise of our descendants that are gonna become in number like the stars in heaven? What about the fact that a great nation is gonna come through me and my boy? What about the promised Messiah? But you need to know that none of that is in the Bible because Abraham did not argue with God here. Abraham did not doubt God here. Abraham believed the Lord. He still believed. I still believe. And his faith, now here's James 2, his faith led to obedience. It was time to show his faith by his works. And so he gets up early in the morning and he takes his, his boy, Isaac, to a hill in the land of Moriah. Now this is fascinating to me, it's a quick side note, but Abraham, generally speaking, Abraham, 2000 BC, David, Solomon, 1000 BC, and of course, Jesus, right? And so he takes his boy, Isaac, to the land of Moriah, to the hill that God tells him to go to, the land of Moriah. Did you guys know that in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse one, the Bible says that Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah? Same place, a thousand years later. And did you guys know that a thousand years after that or so, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed himself just down the street from where the temple was built, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, same area, in the hills of Moriah. But in Genesis chapter 22, it's a fascinating picture. Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering and he lays it on his son. We know that, Abraham, that Isaac is not like a little four or five-year-old boy because a four or five-year-old boy can't carry all the wood up a hill to a burnt offering. Scholars guess that he may be 15 or so. And there's room for your opinion as well. Okay, and so he puts the wood on his boy. And his son Isaac, his only son whom he loves, if you're with me, say amen, amen. carries the wood to the place of sacrifice. What an incredible picture of Jesus, God's one and only son whom God loves, who carries the wood of the cross to the place of sacrifice, where he dies because he loves you so much, for your sins and because he loves me so much, for my sins. Now we're gonna hold our place in James 2. We're gonna turn back to Genesis chapter 22 and we're gonna look at this story. And so Genesis chapter 22, you, you, everybody at home, turn over to Genesis 22. We're gonna pick it up in verse four. Genesis 22 verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Okay, this is the land of Moriah, the hill that God told him to go to. Verse five, then Abraham said to his young men, so some young men who served Abraham came with him on this journey, 
So Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. Now you need to know in Hebrew, the word for young men is the same word for boy. Same Hebrew word. Again, Isaac is not four or five years old. Stay here with the donkey, and I and the young man, the youth, will go over there and worship and come to you again. Verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the, what's the next word? The lamb for the burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order and bound, can you imagine? Bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, he took the knife to slaughter his son. Now stop right there, please look at me. The knife is in the air. Right? And so how in the world can a dad do this? Here's how. The author of Hebrews tells us. We're going to go to Hebrews now, uh, chapter 11. Here's your answer. How can Abraham do this? By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, God's going to test you in times of difficulty to see if, the, if your faith is real or not. He was tested. And he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. He had the knife in the air. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, so how in the world could Abraham do this? Abraham could do this because he knew that even if he did plunge that knife into his son, even if he did kill his son, that God was able to raise his boy from the dead because God promised that my promises will come through Isaac, and when God says it, he always does it no matter what. It's called faith in difficult times. So many people have fake faith. The first difficult thing that happens in their life, I'm done with church, I'm done with God, I'm done reading my Bible, I'm out of here. Well, could it be that you have fake faith? Is your faith really dependent on circumstances? Or is it real? That's what James is trying to get to the bottom of here. Now we gotta read the rest of the story. And so Genesis 22, now verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a, what kind of animal? A ram, you see that? A ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Wow, what a coincidence. No, actually it's a godowins. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount there in Moriah, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now look back up at verse seven. Isaac says as he's carrying the wood, my father, behold the fire and wood, but where is the lamb? for a burnt offering. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. Now what kind of animal was caught by his horns in the thicket? A ram, not a lamb. When did God provide the lamb? 2,000 years later, when his only son, whom he loved, hung on the wood of the cross and gave his life for you and me. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As you turn it back to James chapter two, you need to know that Abraham's faith, which we read about in Genesis 15, it was proven to be genuine because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And so now look at verse 24, James 2, 24, you see. Can you guys say the words you see? Go ahead. You see. Now remember, we don't have x-ray vision. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now some read that verse, they get nervous, they think there's an, a, a contradiction between Paul and James. Now, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you never heard of this supposed imagined contradiction, but there is an imagined contradiction between Paul and his writings in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and James and his writings in James chapter two. And so let's look at what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 28. All right, so if you're looking at the screen right now, say amen. amen. All right, we're talking about eternal issues right here. This is like the gospel. <laughs> this is the difference between heaven and hell. All right, so for we hold that one is justified by what? Faith. Faith. Look at this. Apart from the works of the law. And you say, well, wait a minute. James just said in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so some people at first reading, they think there's a contradiction. There's not a contradiction. All right, so I want everybody to say the word, you ready for this? Say the word meritorious. And now I want everybody to say the word evidential. Okay. So let me clear it up. When Paul was referring to works, he was referring to meritorious works. The man or woman who thinks that they can be good and live a good life and thereby be worthy and deserving of heaven. Like they're really gonna die and they're gonna go and stand before God and say, here I am, Lord, aren't you impressed? Look at the life that I lived. I deserve, I'm worthy of heaven. And God says, eh, right? Because that's, that's, listen, a works gospel is a false gospel. Your works cannot get you to heaven. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
And so when Paul referred to works, he's referring to meritorious works. But when James refers to works, he's referring to evidential works. A person showing his faith by his works, his works are proof that he has saving faith. And to that we say yes and amen. And so you've heard me say it a thousand times. We do not do works to be saved. We do works because we're saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no contradiction between Paul and James. Said another way, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper. You guys are good when I go a little deeper, right? Okay, and so Paul was looking at justification from God's perspective. James was looking at justification primarily from man's perspective, those of us who don't have x-ray vision. Okay, and so uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, who's been a big blessing in my life, he's in heaven. Many of you guys have the Ryrie Study Bible, and so you'll, you can read this in the bottom of your page if you have that study Bible, but he clears it up even more. He says in Paul's writings, to justify, let me just stop right there. Okay, so hermeneutics 101, Bible interpretation 101, tells us this, that you interpret verses by their context. Please do not play fast and loose with God's word and pull a verse out of its context and teach some erroneous false doctrine. You leave the verses in their context. You leave the words in their context. How do you define Greek words? You define Greek words by leaving them in their context. You look at the verses before, the verses after, and that's how you define the word. You look at the chapter, you look at the book, you look at the New Testament. Okay, and so in Paul's writings, to justify means to declare a sinner righteous in the sight of God. Here in James, it means to vindicate or show to be, emphasis show, to be righteous before God and men, all right? And so in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed the Lord, and what happened? He was declared righteous in the sight of God. 30 plus years later, what happens? Abraham is justified, he's vindicated, or he shows, shows his righteousness before God and men, by offering his son Isaac on the altar. And so Paul talks about the root of salvation. James talks about the fruit. Now James is gonna give us example number two, uh, pointing to Rahab. We'll just touch on this because we're almost out of time. Okay, so look at verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. All right, and so in the opening chapters of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, now you got Joshua. In the opening chapters of Joshua, the children of Israel are finally wandering around the, the wilderness for 40 years. They're finally ready to go in the promised land. The first city on their list is Jericho. And so what does Joshua do? He sends two spies into Jericho to scope it all out. And word comes to the enemy's ears. There's two Hebrew spies in our city. Let's go find them, let's go kill them. But now you have a prostitute named Rahab, 
And she's like, nah, I'm gonna help these guys. And so what did she do? She took them and she hid them on the roof underneath stalks of flax. Why did she do that? Because Rahab, the prostitute, how many of you guys know God loves everybody? Everybody, no matter what you've done. Rahab, the prostitute, had heard the stories of the true God, the God of Israel, and how God had miraculously led his people out of their cruel slavery in Egypt, how God miraculously parted the Red Sea and he saved the Israelites and he killed the Egyptian army and drowned them under the sea, how God, through Israel, had killed and defeated the two mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Rahab, the prostitute, heard these stories She looks at the two spies and she says this. We'll put it up on the screen. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Isn't that cool? He's God, the Lord, Yahweh. He's God. Now, anybody can say religious words. So how do we know that Rahab's faith was genuine? Well, she demonstrated it by her works. She hid the two spies. Rahab's a model of true faith because Rahab, what did she do? She turned from the false gods of the Canaanites to the Lord. She turned from her prostitution to the Lord. And what happened? God did an amazing work in her life and he saved her. And she asked the two spies, hey, when you invade, could you save me and my family? They're like, yeah, of course. And she became a Gentile proselyte to uh, Israel, and did you know that her name is one of the, her name is in Jesus' genealogy. She's one of the four women in Matthew chapter one in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a Gentile prostitute. Don't you guys know that God loves everyone? And don't you know that if anybody's willing to turn to the Lord, he can do a miracle in their life and he can change their life. That's the truth of the gospel. And so, last verse. Please stay with me to the end. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The question I have for you, and just answer between you and the Lord, is do you have real faith or is it fake faith? One of the things I love about this church family, and I'm talking as much to the people gathered in this room as the ones who are watching through the camera, is that our church is filled with people of real faith. Our church is filled with people who show their faith by their works. Our church is filled with people who give of their time and their talents and their pocketbook, their treasure. And and you know what that does? That enables us to help others. I'll give you just one, one example but the GVCM orphans over in Haiti, recently we were able to be a blessing to those kids. And so what did we do? Well, we went and we purchased backpacks, school supplies, hygiene items, um, socks, underwear. We were able to contribute toward the purchase of their school uniforms and their shoes. We make sure that those kids Those needy children in Haiti are ready for a new school year. You guys did that. So we show our faith 
by our works. Our young adults next weekend, they're gonna go on this iServe conference you've been hearing about. So what are they doing? They're joining with other young adult ministries around poor St. Lucie area, and they're gonna get together, they're gonna worship the Lord, they're gonna fellowship, probably have some food, right? But they're not gonna stop there. Then they're gonna go out and they're gonna serve the community. They're gonna go serve at the Boys and Girls Club. They're gonna go serve at Graceway Village. They're gonna do other projects for people who are in need. That's exciting to me because they're showing their faith by their works. One of the things I love is that our groups, our life groups here at Calvary, they're catching this vision more and more. And so more and more groups are getting together. And we, we love the fact that our groups, and by the way, if you're not in a group, you gotta join a group. Don't just come to church once a week on a, on a weekend and check your Christianity box. When are, you gonna, when, when are you gonna use your spiritual gifts? You can't use your spiritual gifts sitting in a row once a week. And so join a group. And so what are our groups uh, more and more, what are they doing? They're going out and serving the community. We, we love the fact that our group, we want our, our groups to have fun. We want them to have fellowship. We want them to have food. We want, want them to have a Bible study. Absolutely. But we also want them to go out and serve the community because that's what real Christians do. And so more and more, our groups are doing this through Hope for PSL. And so if you wanna jump on board, you go to our website, you click, click Hope for PSL, um, get the info, and you start to serve. And so some of our groups are starting to do this, and so what they're doing is that they're going to Graceway Village and they're feeding the homeless and the poor. And they're going to Treasure Coast Food Bank and they're volunteering their time there. What are they doing? They're showing their faith by their works. And that's what James 2 is all about. So here's what I know. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so if you authentically, genuinely turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, his spirit will come in. He'll give you the new birth. And then we'll see your faith It'll be evidenced as you become a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ.